Well, New Year is a good time for fresh starts, isn't it? Um, to start new habits, new helpful habits. And each year, each new year, is a new opportunity to start again. I think that's why, in part, God gave us uh, years and not just days and weeks. If you don't think about it, he could have just done it so that we just have weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and we don't have years. But God made it this way, uh, so that we'd have these fresh starts. And around this time of year, gym membership increases, slimming groups grow bigger, uh, no irony intended there. Uh, before vaping, uh, nicotine patches would have their best sales around this time of year. But those things are secondary to what a new year is really for. A new year is a gift from God to believers. If you want to know more about the theology of that, listen to last year's talk uh, on what a new year is in the Bible. But what I want to focus on this evening is an area that we often let slide through the year. And yet it's essential for our spiritual health. You might call them the spiritual disciplines or spiritual self-care. They're the God's-given uh, ways of looking after ourselves, spiritually speaking. So I'm talking about things like reading our Bible, praying together, fellowshipping together, those kinds of things that we do to help us grow spiritually. But as I discuss these things, we need to know why it is we need to do these things. Why it is as human beings that actually we need these things to be healthy. Because if we understand why we're doing something, that will help us stay on track uh, through the year. If we know really what's at the heart of what's going on. And Genesis 1 and 2 that we have read to us give us our foundational relationship with God. To help us understand who we are as human beings. And the foundational things we see, we need to understand if we're going to understand why we need to do this. The main foundational thing that we see really in Genesis 1 and 2 is that we are not God. We're made in the image of God, but we're not God. We're not supermen or superwomen. We are men and women, boys and girls. What I mean to say is that we are creatures. I am a creature. That is my foundational identity. That's my foundational identity and relationship with God. He is creator, and I am not. I'm a creature. And being a creature, not being God, means that I have limitations. We have limitations. And that's not a product of the fall. It's not something that comes after Genesis 3 when it all goes wrong. And that means that actually to be restored to the rightness of our relationship with God doesn't mean that we'll no longer have limitations. Actually, what we need to do is recognise those things. And to embrace them as our foundational identity. I am not God, I am a creature. So what has that got to do with spiritual disciplines? Well that means that God has given us things to survive and grow that are bound to our creatureliness, our nature as a creature. That is one of the things that Adam and Eve forgot. They wanted to be gods when God had made them creatures. God does not expect us to be little gods, self-sufficient, impervious. He expects us to be creatures because that's what he made us to be. And as we look at how to care for ourselves, we need to bear this in mind. There is an inbuilt pattern in creation that if we try to ignore it, then we'll burn out or worse. If we forget that we are creatures, we'll try and be God, but without his infinite resources to be God. 
actually, if we try to succeed in the Christian life without these things, that would actually imply that we are trying to be supermen and women. That we are trying to be God, not taking what God has given us to hell. So those who do these things are not showing off, they're showing their dependence on God. So in the way God has set things up, he has given us things to keep going. Stepping stones, if you like, in the sinking sand. Power-ups in the computer game, if you get the power-ups. They're often called the means of grace, or spiritual disciplines, or paths of blessing. I actually really like the phrase, paths of blessing. I think that's helpful. Because it's saying that we should walk in these paths. Actually, if we walk somewhere else, we should not expect to be blessed. But walking in them is no guarantee, but it is definitely the way to go, isn't it? These are the things that God has given us, the way that we should walk. So first of all, because I am a preacher, I need to reflect. Let me read to you again verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. What we need to do here is reflect God. Not reflect like a mirror, but reflect like a thinker. God is the speaker here, and we are the listener. If you notice, Adam doesn't actually talk back to God until after the fall. What happens here is God speaks to Adam, and Adam's job is to reflect on what God has said. So our role as creatures is as receivers of God's wisdom. God speaks, we listen. And that's profoundly important. We are not the interpreter of our reality. We cannot say God said but. So one path of blessing is to reflect on God's revelation. To read and reflect on the Bible. And this is one of our creaturely means of existence. In the Bible, it's likened to bread, to milk, to solid food. It sustains us. And a Christian cannot live healthily without the word any more than any person can live without food. Sure, you can survive a little while, but in the end, you starve. So this is crucially important. So we need to think about how we can feed ourselves with God's word this year. Let me just give you two big areas to think about. The first of all is reading the Bible alone. It's a good start, isn't it? I was plugging away this morning at the 5 by 5 by 5 plan. It's a good chance, isn't it, to read the Bible for yourself when you're alone. But how do we stop it going stale? Uh, I'm sure with lots of us we've read the Bible through or we've read different parts of the Bible many, many times. Is it just sheer discipline? We just have to sort of, you know, grit our teeth and get on with it? Well, I think there are things that can help, aren't there? We can find a regular time and a regular place to do it. So it might be that you are a morning person. I am not a morning person. That's why I don't schedule my meetings very early in the morning. I am more of an evening person. And my most successful times reading the Bible have tended to be in the evenings. Because that's when I'm most awake. I want to be asleep, but that's the time when I'm wide awake. There are other ways that we can do this, that we can help ourselves. You might want to find a really nice place. So if you've got a particularly comfy chair... In your house, that might be your Bible reading chair. I, uh, for a while, tried doing it while, while having chocolate. Uh, it was uh, some recommended to me by someone on beach missions, and they said, you know, right, have a, a just a little couple of pieces of chocolate 
every time you, you know, just if you're meeting with a friend, you'd have something nice to eat, wouldn't you? Or you'd have nice coffee. So I started doing this on the morning. Unfortunately, I found that uh, whenever I read my Bible, uh, and even at other times of day, I started to crave chocolate. <laughs> um, the good thing was, though, whenever I was eating chocolate, I started to crave my Bible uh, as well. Sort of, my brain sort of associated them uh, together. For a while it worked, but eventually you have to make the, the break, I think, with that. But that's something you could try. Try somewhere nice. It doesn't have to be that you find the coldest place in your house and the most uncomfortable chair and whatever. You actually can enjoy the time that you spend in God's words. So that's the, the first one with uh, alone time. Also, we can meditate on God's word. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this one this year is that it's a bit slower than the whole Bible in a year. That can be a lot to take in in a day. This is just five minutes a day. But that doesn't mean you only have to spend five minutes. You can meditate on what you read. The word meditate in the Bible means to murmur, to chew over, to inwardly digest. In Buddhism, meditating is emptying your mind. But in the New Testament, meditating is filling your mind with good things. So let me give you some just some tips again to you know help keep that fresh. You could try reading the Bible out loud. I had a friend who recorded himself on cassette tape reading the Bible out loud, and he kept the cassettes. 72 hours will get you through the whole Bible, apparently. But you can read it out loud. That helps keep you focused on what you're reading. You can write it out. You can copy it out, or copy out certain parts of it, or copy out a verse that particularly strikes you in a chapter. You can read it in an unfamiliar translation. So if you're really, really used to one particular translation, try it in a different one. So I quite like the New Living Translation. It's quite sort of close to the original, but it's very different from how, say, the ESV does it. If you speak another language, read it in another language. I occasionally read my French Bible. have a go at the Greek as well, but the, the French one can make it quite fresh and interesting. Well, how about this one? Read it out loud, emphasising one word at a time. That's something to do if you're on really short sections. Let me explain what I mean. So if you're doing something like John 3.16 just the first bit, you might say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You might want to then look at what's gone before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it goes on. And it's amazing, actually, how much extra you can get out of just one verse, going through it like that, as you understand each part separately. And that's just mulling over, meditating, chewing over something uh, that you've got. And that can really help just really take it in, uh, if you're reading a shorter section. Also, something else you can do, although memorising. That's the way to have a Bible when you don't have a Bible. It's sort of filling your mind uh, with the Bible. And I remember, I'm quite ashamed really, I can tell you all the lyrics to American Pie by Don McLean. I'm sure there are songs that you could probably do like that. But I think it's, how long is it? Always you, is it eight minutes long? Yeah. Eight minutes, I can know all the words. How many, how much Bible can I quote like that? Can I even quote one chapter of the Bible? And yet my brain clearly is capable of doing things like that. I mean, I suffer from earworms. I get songs in my head all the time. How much better to have Bible earworms? that we've got stuck in our heads. So again, with that, pick a regular time. 
Uh, I remember that I uh, tried memorising my way through Romans when I was uh, doing teacher training. And I used to, after uh, when I got a free period, that's the first thing I did, I memorised the next bit of uh, Romans. We've also got um, great resources now that we didn't have a few years ago. Online you can find things like Fighter Versus, or you can download an app on your phone, I think it's like 79p. Uh, and that will give you songs that just go over and over. So when I was doing running, I used to have it playing in my ears. Uh, and now actually when I go to certain places, it would always be about the same, and never got much faster. So <laughs> we'd always be about the same place that I'd be getting to the same verse. And I would walk past those places, those verses come into my head. With our kids, we've listened to songs by Colin Buchanan. He does loads of Bible verses. Many of the Bible verses that I, I, I quote most readily are ones that are from Colin songs. There's also a thing called Seeds Family Worship, uh, which Debbie introduced us to, uh, which is just Bible set to music. But it's great, it just sticks in your head, and your brain is designed to learn that way, so it's helpful. So those are things that you can do alone, but there are also things that we can do together. I think together time in the Bible is underestimated. I think uh, in the past we've often focused on, well, how am I doing spiritually? Well, it's all to do with what am I doing by myself. But actually, what we do together is important too. It's still beneficial. So are we hearing regular good preaching? Helpful models for our own understanding of the Bible? Uh, If you do find yourself in a situation where you're listening to boring sermons, don't worry, you don't have to tell me afterwards. My tip is always aim for learning one thing. Focus on what, what am I getting? Try and try and soak it whatever you can get. I found actually hilariously some really boring sermons. I remembered that one point better than some great sermons where I've not had to try so hard because it's really easy to listen to. Well, what about Bible study? Think about things like Wednesday at two and life groups. Actually engaging with the text, interacting with it, collecting wisdom from other saints. Who've looked at it in a slightly different way or have understood it before us. We believe, don't we, in the priesthood of all believers, we're to teach one another. We get one another's reflections that way as well. That's one of the ways that I've learned most about the Bible is interacting with other people. So we need to reflect. That's part of what we're like as a creature. That's what we're designed to do. God has spoken and we're to listen, and that's some of the ways that we can do that. Secondly, because I'm a creature, I need to receive. So let me just read to you those few verses from uh, chapter 2, verse 9, first of all. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And down to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And then verse 22. And the rib um, that the Lord God had taken for the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Do you see there in every situation there, God is providing. God is giving. Everything he has is given to him in the garden. Adam hasn't had time to make anything. Everything has been given to him. And God is the provider. We are the receiver. That implies that we are in the asking category and he is in the giving category. And that's an expression of faith. Not bringing to God, but trusting in him to provide to us. And again, there are two big areas. Alone time. Actually, we are uh, we are given things that will help us in our uh, ways that we interact with God. So, for example, what about praying? That is a way that we uh, 
can receive from God by asking him for things. And one of the ways that I think I've found most helpful over the years to, to do that is to pray the Bible. So take a chapter that you're looking at, take a verse that you're looking at, turn it into a prayer. If it's saying that God will give you something, ask for something. If it's saying that God does something, ask him to do it. There are brilliant ways that we can do that, just taking a section uh, and praying it. We can also uh, write out our prayers. Uh, I know that uh, that was very common in the past, less so now. It slows you down, i found. So again, in my own devotional time, i found it quite helpful just to stop and write my prayer to God, rather than just say it out loud straight away. It allows me to think it through. And when you look at all those wonderful Puritan prayers in the past and, and things like that, I'm sure that lots of them would have been written down before they prayed them. They thought about what they were going to say to God. There's also things like fasting. That's a bit controversial. Is it a New Testament practice? It's not compulsory in the New Testament. Can be helpful. I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, again, when I've done it, it's been a reminder to pray, you know, when your tummy grumbles. You sort of think, oh, yes, it's a reminder that God gives me everything. It's a reminder that I receive everything from God. It's sort of the flip side of thankfulness. It's reminding ourselves when we haven't got something, that God gives it to us. Again, that's more difficult in different stages of life. It's quite hard now with two children and, you know, eating and, uh, around tables and, and wanting to do that together. But it can be helpful, but it's not compulsory. So those are things that we can do alone. What about together? Prayer meetings. They're underestimated, prayer meetings. I mean, Spurgeon wrote a book, didn't he? Just a prayer meeting. There's no such thing as just a prayer meeting. They were common in the early church. You read about it in Acts. And I found them a great uh, resource as a younger Christian. People come to me quite often and say, well, I don't know what to pray. But going to a prayer meeting is a brilliant way to learn how to pray. When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus prayed, and they listened to him. We're able to pray prayers as well in prayer meetings that we could never pray on our own. Some people pray in amazing ways, and I, I, I've got lots to learn uh, in this area. But they pray, and you can say amen. Isn't that wonderful? You can pray that prayer, even if you could never pray it by yourself. Well, what about prayer with friends? That's a good habit to get into. It's sort of somewhere in between a prayer meeting and prayer alone. It's less showy, you know, you don't run that danger so much of, of just wanting to stand out. But it's less scary, isn't it, as well? More personal. Could you meet with a friend and not just share a problem, but pray with them about that problem? God's made us to need others. One of the things that he gave Adam in the garden was another person. We're designed to need one another, and praying together is a wonderful way to express that. So that's the second thing. Because I am a preacher, I need to receive. We need to ask God for things. Thirdly, there's only four. Because I am a preacher, I need to rest. Let me just read to you verses one to three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Do you see here that actually rest is inbuilt into creation? Here really it's presented as the goal of creation. It's, it's what comes at the end. And it's also the ultimate goal of history. In Hebrews 4, that's what we're all heading to, our heavenly rest. Creation here is the context of that rest. God has given a wonderful creation for us to enjoy. 
to resting. God provides it. I, I remember my favourite example of this is uh, when I lived in France for a year. I used to live quite close to Paris. And uh, I often, you, you sort of go to Paris, you get the Eiffel Tower, you get all the great works of art, you get all the amazing buildings. And it shows you what man can do in Paris. You want to see the pinnacle of man's sort of art and perfection. Go to Paris. But one time I decided I'd go back, not to Paris, but to Geneva. And you go in on the plane, and the plane sort of goes from side to side through the Alps as you sort of go. You come down on Lake Geneva, and you sort of see this water just there. You get out of the plane, and man, the first time I did that, it was like fresh air. It's like I'd never breathed fresh air before. It was just something completely different. It just reminds me, well, that's what God does. You want to see what God has done. Go to somewhere like Geneva, and you see the mountains, you see the lakes, you see... It's there for us to enjoy And part of our creatureliness is to enjoy the creation God has given us. That's actually part of what we're here for, to enjoy it. God's given us it to enjoy. Are there ways that we can expose ourselves to God's creation? Not just nature, the good things that God has given to us. Enjoying what we have in life, our food. Enjoying music. Enjoying uh, friendship. Enjoying marriage if we're married. There are lots of things that God has given us to enjoy. And that's part of what we do to rest. We enjoy that creation. But also part of this is work. Do you notice that Adam actually works in the garden? Now it seems strange to have this under rest, doesn't it? But what we rest from is work. It's harder to rest if there's no work. That's the pattern that we're given in Genesis. Part of our creatureliness is to exert ourselves in work whether that's nine to five jobs or in the home or studies, we work hard at our God-given tasks. So Sunday issues aside, the commandment was, if you remember in, uh, in Exodus, work for six days. We often miss that bit, don't we? Work for six days, rest on the seventh. And especially physical work here is what Adam does. Adam is a gardener. It's not a desk job. For much of human history, work meant physical exertion. Now, actually, lots of work is sitting down. We've had this sort of weird thing. People have noticed that, actually, our leisure time is swapped with our work time. Don't know if you've ever noticed this. So in the olden days, you used to work really hard physically. You'd do your sort of work in the factory or you'd carry your things. What did you do on your holidays? <clears throat> you laid out on a sunbed. You did absolutely nothing. You, you, you rested. Nowadays, because we sit at desks, what do we do on our holidays? We go and do something. You know, we might go, uh, not, this is not worth but, you know, scuba diving or, you know, power gliding or, you know, all those sorts of things. Because actually we've flipped it around, we need the exercise, our bodies need that. But whatever you do, if we have a sit-down job, we need to get exercise. That's part of what we're made for. We don't do mentally well or physically well if we don't exercise. And part of this could either be do what you do in your work or what you do in your leisure. But we work hard to rest well. I don't know if you've ever done kids' camps, but you find that if you, if you do loads of stuff with the kids during the day, you have a much easier evening, because they all just drop off to sleep. If you have a day where it's raining and you can't do a lot, that's when they play up at night, because we work hard, or play hard, to rest well. Also in this category with our, our uh, rest, we've got friends. Uh, have a look at 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. Now normally you hear this about marriage, don't you? And it is about marriage, but it's not exhausted by marriage. What we learn here is that man was not made to function alone. We're actually built for relationships. Things start to fall apart again in our lives and in our spiritual health when we drop this ball. And I should say, if you're married, your spouse does not count as your friend. As in, that's not enough for you to have. I've been to myself as well. One person was not supposed to bear everything in the relationships that we have. God created us for community, for friends. Who said this? I know Steve Orr has used this before, so apologies to Steve Orr. Who said this? I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Paul Simon Garfunkel. We got it there between us. But it's not true, is it? We're not islands. We're not rocks. We need other people. And most of us, I think, especially as blokes, I think we've lost the art of friendship. We're a bit scared of things as blokes as bromance uh, that you get in our culture. You know, oh, if two guys are good friends, oh, there's a bromance going on. But actually, there are loads of good relationships in the Bible, aren't there, between people of the same sex. David and Jonathan, Jesus and John. We have no real category now in our culture for, for friends of the same sex. Or just friends together. So actually, in our, in our sort of society, we can have lovers, but not friends. Doesn't, we sort of seem to have lost that category a bit. So we need to relearn the art of friendship, because without friends, we fall apart psychologically. And then finally in this category, sleep. James that verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. Do you notice here, sleep existed before the fall. It's not something that's just because we're sinful. Actually, we needed to sleep even before. We were never meant to be 24-7 people. So sleep shows our dependence on God. It reminds us that we're not supermen and superwomen. So we need to find time to sleep well. We need to go to bed at a reasonable hour. John Piper once asked the question, is patience a fruit of the Spirit or a fruit of a good night's sleep? Our physical and our spiritual are linked, aren't they? These are things that are linked together. To meet our spiritual obligations, we must take into account the physical. And all of us have varying needs in this area. I know I am not John Wesley. He woke up at 4am every day. My ministry would not be improved if I woke up at 4am every day, trust me. You'd get a very grumpy person by this time in the day. So praise God for John Wesley... But God has made us all different, and that's okay. Some of us need more sleep than others. Not an excuse for laziness, but if you struggle to stay awake to pray on a morning, if you find yourself yawning on a Sunday morning, it might not be the preacher. It might be that actually you needed to go to bed a little bit earlier on a Saturday night. Last thing before we close. One thing we need to mention. We do not live in the Garden of Eden, which is what we see here. We live in a fallen world. So finally, I will briefly... Because I'm a sinner, I have to restart, or I'll need to restart. One of the hardest things about spiritual disciplines and self-care is that by nature, we don't care for ourselves and we're undisciplined. One of the hardest things about the path of blessing is actually we're prone to wander. So we need to be realistic that this year, in all these areas, we will fail. That's who we are as human beings. 
So we need to plan how to restart when we fail. We need to get good at failing. Let me give you some ideas. Make decisions now. What will I do if I start this and I fall behind? What am I going to do? Am I going to catch it up at the end of the week? Am I going to let it slide and sort of pick it up after a month? Or am I going to do two days? Think about it. I'm not giving you an answer, but think about what if I don't uh, do well at these things? What will I do if I stop praying? Can I make another suggestion? Put something down in writing when you get home, in a journal or on a wall. Make a decision to do something. Think about the year ahead. Not quite a New Year's resolution, but just something that you want to do this year, a goal. Another thing that you can do, accountability, buddy up. Agree to be honest. You know, with something like this, could you talk to someone else and say, well, if you do it, I'll do it. And if I haven't done it by the end of this week, you tell me off, I'll tell you off if you haven't done it. Everyone struggles with this as well. Everyone as well in this area assumes that the other person has and they haven't. And nearly always when I've done things like this, I find that we both haven't. And we both need to tell each other off. But all of us struggle in these areas. It's a good way, actually, of keeping each other accountable. We give each other permission to do those things. So often we don't share because we feel proud when we're doing well and we feel shame when we're not. But we need to remember in all these things the gospel that tells us that we all fail and that it's actually Jesus who puts us right with God, not our how well we're doing with these things. Jesus' sacrifice levels us all and that means these things are okay. So those are the spiritual disciplines. Why not take a minute now to think through how you might apply this through the year and then in a moment's time uh, we'll sing a song together that speaks of uh, the wonders of God's word and all that he's given us. Just, Just take a minute.